it's Thursday, and welcome to yet another Days of the New. Nick, how are you? I'm doing great, Kevin. Thanks for asking. Uh, this is a podcast where we discuss the best and the worst moments in new metal history. Today, we will be highlighting the history, right? <laughs> this is what we are about to talk about directly led to the creation of new metal, and I think is a, a pretty notable moment in music history. And it mostly doesn't suck ass. Mostly. Let me back up. All right. <clears throat> On September 14th, 1993, a young Kevin DeLore went to Camelot Music, located in the Castleton Square Mall of Indianapolis. There, he purchased two cassettes, which were both released that very day. One would forever change how he listened to music and ultimately be a driving force in how he lived his life. The other, honestly, is just okay. Those albums were The Judgment Night soundtrack and Nirvana's In Utero. I'm sorry, man. In Utero, like, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, they already knocked down all the doors, right? It was yeah. just uh, another Nirvana record. Heart Shaped Box is the most boring fucking song ever. I couldn't stand it. It's so bad. <laughs> it's not a good song. I fucking... There, there it is. Hey, this ain't a grunge podcast. Well, it's going to be very, very close. Yeah, I guess it is today. If you haven't guessed, today we are indeed talking about the Judgment Night soundtrack. Judgment Night is the 1993 film of the same name, starring Emilio Estevez, Jeremy Piven, Stephen Dorff, Cuba Gooding Jr., Dennis Leary, and Everlast. It tells the story of four friends traveling from their bucolic Illinois suburbs to a boxing match in Chicago. After taking a wrong turn, they are trapped in the dangerous Cabrini Green housing project and stalked by its nefarious crime lord, Fallon, played by Dennis Leary. The film has since been forgotten to time, but the soundtrack remains one of the most celebrated pieces of music in new metal and the larger cultural zeitgeist as well. That's a very long-winded way of saying that this is a movie that fucking bombed. It wasn't very good, but it had a soundtrack that quite literally formed the sound that would become new metal. Yeah, I mean, there's all roads point back to this. I don't think there's any dispute of that. Yeah. So I guess why this album is so important, for those that don't know, right, is that it was a team effort. Each song mm -hmm. had a hard rock act and a rap act, and they either directly contributed to the song together, or they wrote it together, but both appeared on each song. Before this album, the idea of pairing genres was pretty much a novelty. Of course, we all know there was Aerosmith and Run DMC. Yeah. You had Blondie with Rapture. And then there was Public Enemy and Anthrax. And across the pond, you had bands like uh, Pop Weed itself that were experimenting with merging genres. But all those instances, there was nothing that you would call sustainable. Uh, there was nothing that you said, hey, this is going to give birth to a whole genre of music. And that was the deal at the time. So like... Going into Judgment Night, there was no roadmap. The idea of rap and rock, nobody had really figured out quite how to do it. Until a man named Happy Walters came along. So, as I mentioned way back in our Spawn episode, this is the architect behind the entire effort. At the time, a 22-year-old Walters and his business partner, Amanda Shear were managing acts like Cypress Hill and House of Pain, all while trying to get their tiny label, Immortal Records, off the ground. Somewhere along the line, Walters and Dem ran into the guys from Pearl Jam. Walters says, and I am going to be quoting quite a bit from this amazing Rolling Stone article called 
the oral history of the Judgment Night soundtrack, 90, 1993's Rap Rock Utopia. It's by uh, Christopher Weingarten, and I absolutely re- recommend checking it out. It's a really great read. So Walters, he met the guys from Pearl Jam, found out their favorite group is Cypress Hill, who he's managing. Pearl Jam asked the Cypress Hill guys to do a show with them in Seattle, and they did just that. It went over great. The guys really hit it off. And it kind of occurred to Walters in that moment, shit, we should put Rapid Rock together like this. So he started using his relationships with other managers, trying to sell them on this idea. But he didn't quite, like, know where to put it. He had the idea, but he didn't know where it should go. And once again, this shows that it's all about the people you know. Because Amanda Shear was engaged to a man named Ted Demi, who worked on the No Cure for Cancer album uh, with Dennis Leary. And also happened to be best friends with Everlast. <laughs> you heard it here first. Everlast has friends. <laughs> I kind of like Everlast. So as crazy as it may sound, Everlast is actually the linchpin behind this whole thing. And of course it would be that guy who kind of usher in new metal. The music supervisor behind Judgment Night explained that Everlast was already in this movie. He was already cast in the movie Judgment Night. She started talking to him about the soundtrack. Hey, would Everlast want to do a song? So, you know, that sort of thing. His managers, Happy Walters and Amanda Shear, kind of that opened the door for them to pitch this idea of the Judgment Night soundtrack. So there you have it. Now we have our vehicle with which to pair rap and rock. So all of this coalesced into the team beginning to set up the weirdest blind dates in music history. Nick, let me show you what blew my fucking mind in 1993. When you witness a murder and you want to tell the judge or the jury, you're going to get murdered too. That's what the whole song talk about. Another body murder. The combination of Faith No More and Booyah Tribe is just one of the many rap rock teams on the Judgment Night soundtrack. Okay, let's just stop right there. Yeah. Wow. That was on MTV, and all I saw were a bunch of Samoans screaming. I heard the words, Faith No More, and there is a man on fire. Just Just running. Just (laughs) running around. This is a two-minute piece from MTV News on the Judgment Night soundtrack. I had no idea what this was about, but I saw a guy on fire and people screaming and heard metal music. I'm in. That was it. I so this is um just before like my musical awakening as a kid, like by a year. So like I missed this whole thing. But like, oh my god, yeah, I yeah. Mean, it's obviously such a cool moment. It's a very cool moment. Everything about this, the hype machine was in motion, and I was completely on board. I went out and got this tape the day it came out, or rather, my mom did. Thanks, mom. One last thing before we get into the artists who are paired up on this is. I want to talk about the artists who they tried to get who either said no or they just couldn't make it happen. Walters has stated that he really wanted Nirvana on the album. Yeah, why wouldn't you in 1993? Dave Grohl was kind of on board, but Kurt proved to just be too difficult, which totally tracks. Yeah, I mean, it was probably a needle in his arm and he was uh, on a couch somewhere. (laughs) Let's be real. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Metallica was another ask. They said no because... They're a bunch of pricks. Yeah, I mean, of course they did. How much? How much? How much? That actually, yeah, that's what that's what Walter said. Yeah. Like the managers just laughed and said, yeah, all right, give us a million dollars. Yeah, exactly. Ice Cube turned down the offer. That would have been sick. Yeah, that would have been fucking awesome. He does have a new metal moment, though. Ice Cube did a song called Fuck Dying with Korn. 
the idea of bringing Public Enemy on was floated, but ultimately they stayed away from that on account of Professor Griff's homophobia and rampant and anti-Semitism. <laughs> like, just rampant. One last collaboration, which almost happened and kind of happened, was Rage Against the Machine and Tool. And yeah. Uh, yeah, they did a jam session for a track called Can't Kill the Revolution. Uh, you can find it online. It's about six minutes long. Sounds like shit. Yeah, it sounds like it was recorded on a four track in a garage. And yeah. It probably was. Yeah. And if you had Napster or Kazaa or mm-hmm. something like that, you definitely have this track somewhere. It's usually like Tool, Rage Against the Machine, Rare Live Demo. And it's got like a bunch of other artists packed yeah. into it. I'm not even going to play it because it's not worth it. So yeah, let's get into it. For the purposes of this episode, we will be reviewing the tracks on this album in the order they were on the original cassette. The CD version is tracked differently. I think the cassette version is far superior. So, the whole thing opens up with Cypress Hill and Sonic Youth and the song I Love You, Mary Jane. So, I'm going to come out and just say that it wasn't what I expected it to sound like. Yeah, it's a very inauspicious opening salvo for the new metal genre. I saw a man on fire on MTV and I was like, I must own this album. And I get it and I open it and I put it in and it's like, it's a Cypress Hill song with like yeah. Kim Gordon kind of vamping in the background. As soon as the song gets going, I feel high. Like there's something about that Cypress Hill bass tone that yeah. will forever be linked to marijuana in my brain. <laughs> it absolutely will. This could have been a very different song. A quote from DJ Mug says, I was really into ministry at the time, and I got on the phone with Al Jorgensen, and Al was busy. So then Happy Walters is like, how about Sonic Youth? All right. Yeah, that's a hell of a jump. <laughs> Sonic Youth's camp, they were one of the bands that were super into this, and the thing that is so important to realize about this album is that now when there's a collaboration or a remix or whatever, it's all done over email. It's all just tracks shooting back and mm-hmm. forth and rarely are these artists ever in the studio together. Yeah, definitely. All of this was done face to face in the studio. Really? Every single one? Every single one except the oh, very wow. last track. Wow. And they all have stories recounting about like, well, you know what the fuck to do with these people. Yeah, Sonic Youth, they got in there and they absolutely ate shit. They had no idea what to do. I mean, it's uncharted territory, but eventually DJ Muggs like started recording just Sonic Youth jamming a little, and then he would chop it and uh, loop it, and they kind of got the idea, so it was very much in real time in one session. They had to figure it out and come together and make it happen. You hear that a lot throughout this. Either like they click and they're vibing, or they're just kind of like looking at one another from across the room like, how do we do this? So yeah, it's, it's a very kind of slow, just weed song. And then it kicks into high gear. Yeah. Next up is the piece de resistance. Oh, yeah. Of the entire album. The song Judgment Night featuring Onyx and Biohazard. Chaos. <laughs> just chaos. But I mean, like, that's the chorus, and it's just huh. <laughs> I'm I'm here for this one. Like <laughs> yeah, dude. this is when I see a man running down the street on fire, 
in 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 urban blight like this is what i want to hear and the people that are performing it are the people i want to see performing it like you know that opening scene in robocop 2 where it's just like a tremendous amount of crime happening like this song should be playing during that it's so true it's so true this track is insane and it's also like the perfect representation of the early 1990s i want to show you a video from Onyx. This is an actual performance at the 1994 Source Awards. Okay. What the Oh my god. I'm speechless. So, for those of you listening at home, what the fuck? <laughs> This is uh, Onyx at the 94 Source, Source Award, and they come out, yo, what the fuck's up? And then uh, Sticky Fingers produces a handgun from his waistband and just fires it into just the air. blasting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that, and, and that was the great thing about music back then, is that Colin Bine ruined everything. <laughs> like, the idea... Oh, fuck! <laughs> The idea of an artist coming out saying, what the fuck's up? And then firing a handgun in an auditorium. Oh, right into the ceiling. Yeah. And I hope there were no spotlight operators up there or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. And uh, and that's like where we're at in music right now is that they there are no rules and violence for violence's sake is kind of embraced and it sells. I want to switch gears because Biohazard is kind of the flip side of that. I want to play real quick an interview from the No Jumper podcast where Sticky Fingers and Fredo Santana uh, talk about meeting Onyx for the first time. There was no YouTube at the time. You couldn't mm -hmm. like do your, you couldn't do that. There right. was no internet at the time. You just had to take his word for you it. You went down the street and bought a CD or something? Nah, no. we just met him in the studio. Oh, okay. So we, we went to the studio. They was in the studio. An hour, we, we rolled a CeeLo with them. They know how to roll. They, they just break him. All right, so you get the idea. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They, they meet each other. They start shooting dice. And now we get Judgment Night. We talked about Biohazard before. And, like, they, they don't ever feel really authentic to me. Like, they're supposed to be, like, these <laughs> tough guys. But, like, the lead singer reminds me of Joe Exotic. <laughs> 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 like, I can't help it. Oh my god. Uh, and for those that don't know, he uh, turned into a porn star later in his career. Oh yeah, no, married uh, Tara Patrick. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and that that was a really difficult time in porn because, yeah. you know, you'd, you'd fire up the old uh, Dell desktop and try to <laughs> try to bust one out and then you just see the dude from Biohazard. <laughs> Butthole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got to see his Biohazard. Uh, oh god. Oh. God, well, and there's your new metal tie-in, because you're not truly a new metal band until you marry a porn actress. Amen to that. I sent you the video. Did you have a chance to watch that? I did. So before we get into it, you're aware that the recorded version of the video is different than the currently recorded version of this song available on Spotify, right? Yes, and there is a reason for that. There is actually a remix version that was shown on Yo! MTV Raps. So the version that we just played is the classic Judgment Night version. In the Yo! MTV Raps version, they actually toned down the guitars and had 
Evan Seinfeld of Biohazard, they gave him like a lengthier vocal part rather than just (laughs) this video. They spent a lot of money and time and advertising put into this. There are three videos from this soundtrack. And at no point did anybody blink about the content. The only thing that they were concerned about was a mixed down version for UMTV rap. So like, what was the conversation for this video? Okay, we need a black Jesus to be crucified in a jail cell. And uh, we'll want all the guys screaming in the back of a paddy wag. Oh, what? They're already in one? Okay, great. (laughs) Yeah. This just is the soundtrack to crime. And somebody (laughs) said, like, what do you want this video to be? I'm going to be like, probably all of these guys in prison. Yeah. And that's all it is. It starts with them in the paddy wagon. Then they go through processing. And then they are in court. And then they are in jail. (laughs) With Black Jesus. With Black Jesus. My favorite line in this is, uh, I'm fucking gonna raise hell and make the white men call me master. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like yelling it right in Evan's face. (laughs) It's so great. Everything about this is great. Before we leave Judgment Night, I just want to show you what the cultural arbiters of the time thought of it. Wow, that's cool. (laughs) I can do that. Come on, buddy, you do that all the time. Pizza, pizza. <laughs> God, it was such a better time. It was oh such a better God. time. Such a good show. I love Mike Judge. Rolling into the next track, we get Helmet and House of Pain with Just Another Victim. Or as I like to call it, holy shit, Everlast has bars. Yeah, I mean, I have in my notes, Everlast has a pretty solid flow. This verse stands up. He's just bodies the whole track, but it kicks off with a just very straightforward classic Helmet song. And I think this was my first introduction to that band. This song was done in two takes. Um over two studio sessions. The first one was with Helmet in New York's Fun City, and that's where they recorded their albums uh, Strap It On and Meantime. It's a basement. It's very much looks like how you would envision it based on Helmet's sound. Paige Hamilton was quoted saying, I think the House of Pain guys were kind of like, this is not very high-tech looking because there are pipes running and stuff through the place and there's no isolation booths or anything. And then they finished it up with Hamilton stopping on tour in L.A., and he went in and finished up the vocals. And again, according to him, they had porno movies on between the speakers, and I was like, this is kind of distracting. (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, it has a pretty new metal intro. Um, the, the riff, you know, if you tuned it down a few steps and like added the metal zone pedal would, would be pretty new metal. Yeah. Uh, you can tell that DJ Lethal is on this track because it does that little like woo sound effect that's in House of Pain songs. So, you know, he just hit his like woo button. Would you like to see Everlast completely sucking at this song live? Oh, yeah, of course I would. Okay. It sounds great. Here's the thing that I can't understand about rap guys. 
On the album, he's got flow, he's bodying the whole fucking verse. But often when hip-hop guys try to perform with a rock band, they just start yelling. Yeah, stage volume is a very much a thing when there's a rock band. And when you're in a hip-hop group, it's not loud on stage. There's not, like, amps behind you and stuff. I don't know. It must pump you up, make you louder. I mean, you wrote the song, dude. You know how it goes. Like, (laughs) you're Everlast, for God's sakes. Yeah, so that's Whitey Ford kind of eating shit in front of uh, one of my personal musical heroes. Obviously, we talk about Helmet a lot uh, on this show, or at least I do. And I'll leave you with this. I want to read one more quote, uh, and this is from Paige Hamilton again. Fred Durst from Limp Biscuit was opening that tour when Helmet was opening for Corn, And Fred kept bugging me every day. I want to get up and do the song. So we finally, I think, in Portland, Maine or something, we let Fred sing, the, sing it with us. I have looked everywhere. Oh, man. Everywhere for this. If anyone listening out there was at the Central Maine Civic Center on March 27th, 1997... Please reach out to me. I need to hear Fred Durst doing just another victim with Helmet. Yeah. Here comes a palate cleanser. This is Living Color with Run DMC, Me, Myself, and My Microphone. This one feels um, perhaps the most cohesive to me so far, as mm-hmm. in, like, this is a song versus, yeah. like, I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to do my part. This one felt like musicians working together like vernon reed is a beast on guitar like living color is a band that like was really important it did some really cool things but happened in a really weird timeline Mm -hmm. where like grunge just sort of pushed all the hair metal off the air and while living color wasn't hair metal he was a guitar hero and like all of a sudden guitar solos weren't cool anymore and living color were like wearing wetsuits on stage yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it just it like they they didn't get the accolade or the time in the limelight that they deserved Mm because they rule and like you can just hear when vernon reed like he plays into the chorus and now the the run dmc guys know okay now it's time for the like it's just yeah and they're such pros i mean living color and run dmc out of everybody on this soundtrack had probably been doing it longer than anybody else. It's a great showing by both of them. This was actually recorded in a three and a half hour session. They banged wow. this out. And according to DMC, it's the last recorded thing that Run DMC ever did together. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a quote from DMC. I don't remember nothing after that. That was it. Because then after 1993's Down With The King, everything went fucking AWOL. So they had the album Down With The King, and then they released... Me, Myself, and My Microphone on the Judgment Night soundtrack. And then DMC, from his own admission, he falls into like a super deep depression. He said, I guess all that spiritually and emotionally just fucking tore me to pieces. Crown Royal, which was Run DMC's 2001 reunion record, he didn't partake in any of the making of it. And uh, he never went to one session. It was all Run and Jam Master J on that whole album. Oh, wow. Yeah, and Jam Master J... Unfortunately, he would be murdered in his studio in October of 2002. So, yeah, the last thing that Run DMC ever did as a cohesive unit was this track. Oh. Um, yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, it, it's extremely old school hip hop yeah. on top of some pretty cool rock band stuff. Like, I think it's a, probably a pretty good example of what they envisioned when they wanted to put this concept together. Yeah, I think that before new metal, when people thought rap and rock, this is probably where they landed at. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. Here's what they didn't think of. Slayer and Ice-T. This shit is nuclear. (laughs) It's just absolute madness. 
this is a rap artist, but Ice T does not rap on this track because I mean he was already in fucking Body Count. Yeah. Which if you don't, if you're listening to the show and you don't know who Body Count is, Ice T had a hardcore band <laughs> and they rule and they still put out music and it still rules. In in 1991 or two, they put out their first album, which had the single "Cop Killer." <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, they left it on. They were super punk about it. And then eventually they caved and they they pulled Cop Killer off of that album. Do you know what I found out about this album that I did not know until researching this? What? They shipped the promotional copies of that album out in fucking body bags. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean, but that's that's the shit that like always bugs me. Like You could have a movie where some guys are killing the police and it's a movie and nobody questions anything, but somebody writes a song called Cop Killer and all of a sudden like you can't have fiction mm-hmm. in, in music. Mm-hmm. I mean, we hear a lot about cancel culture right now, uh, but I can think of a ton of artists that have had their records burned from the Dixie Chicks to the Beatles by like the religious right. Yeah. And, like All Ice-T wanted to do is cancel some cops. <laughs> Cop cancel! I know your family's grieving! Fuck them! <laughs> so like Ice-T's just like screaming his head off on this track. <laughs> Kerry King, the guitar player of Slayer, is notoriously bad at guitar solos, but like rules are just thrash. <laughs> so like he just does this like nuclear squeal like solo and then just chugs his head yeah. off. And like it's it's fucking crazy. crazy. This is actually a medley of covers of songs from the exploited. It's Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, that. it's a cover of War, UK eighty two, and Disorder, which Ice T changes to LA ninety two. Uh, evidencing yeah. the riots. Here's one of the coolest videos I've ever seen, Nick. A speed metal duet. Hatred can bring you down. Conducted by producer War. Rick Rubin, brought Ice T together with we one of his favorite bands, Slayer. I guess got a call, and my manager just called me up. He says, "Yo, they want you to do it. You know, a duo with some group." I'm like, "What group?" He says, "A rock group." I said, "I got a rock group, and like Slayer." I'm like, "I'm there." <laughs> How fucking cool is that? That's awesome. I love Ice-T. Yeah. This is not a new metal track. This is not a rap rock track. This is a thrash song. And yeah. it's perfect. And I love it. Yeah, it's it's great. And yeah, to, to have Rick Rubin there, of course, like you've just got like three titans uh, in the studio. Oh, big time. Yeah, it's it's a cool highlight on this yeah. record. Yeah. Time for another palate cleanser. Yeah. <laughs> Dell the Funky Homo Sapien and Dinosaur Jr. with Missing Link. So this is the smoothest track on the album. Yeah. Dell has that unmistakable Dell the Funky Homo Sapien flow. You know it's him as soon as you hear it. Dinosaur Jr.'s keeping it in the pocket the whole time. It's just real nice. You say Dinosaur Jr.'s keeping it in the pocket, but according to Dell, Jay Maskus of Dinosaur Jr. played all of the instruments. Oh, that's not surprising at all. Yeah. He says, his band was there, but they didn't do nothing. They were just like playing <laughs> pool in the in the uh, other room the whole time. He did everything except for maybe the 808 shit that I had running through the production. Everything else he did. So, <laughs> well, at the end of the day, it's 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 one of the best tracks on this it album. Is. I think it's not one of the most iconic, but from like a, I'm gonna jam this in my car while with the the sunroof mm-hmm. open, driving down the highway. Oh, it's great. This is this does real nice. If you want to see a performance of that live, Google Dinosaur Junior and Dell on the Arsenio Hall show. That's cool. Yeah, it's a very very cool set. Um, Have you uh you ever seen the footage of Dell falling off the stage? I found that during my research for this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if anybody just wants to laugh, uh, Dell was uh, 
at the Ruskilda Festival in Denmark, and he was there to do his spot on on that song Clint Eastwood for the Gorillas track, and uh, he just like walks on the stage, starts his rap, and immediately falls the fuck <laughs> off the stage. Like he just walks right off. Like he's got sunglasses on. He didn't see it. It's real funny. All right, it's time to flip the cassette over to side B. And begin with one of my favorite songs on this album. Really? Yeah, this is De La Soul with Teenage Fan Club performing Fallen. I do not like it. What? I don't. What, dude? Oh, I love this song. I love it. I'm not here for this in the Judgment Night soundtrack. There was a man on fire, Kevin. <laughs> there was a man on fire, but like this is I'm just not here for teenage fan club. I I dig it, man. I dig it. This also could have been a very different song. According to Teenage Fan Club, the original idea was for them to be paired with PM Dawn. Oh wow. Yeah, that fell through. So they came back and said, "Hey, you want to work with De La Soul?" De La Soul chose them because they had never heard of Teenage Fan Club. They went through the list. They're like, "Eh, we've never heard of these guys. Let's do it." Okay. Yeah. When De La was actually in Scotland, where Teenage Fan Club is from, they got in the studio, and it was one of those things where they're just staring at each other, and they're like, "We have no idea what to do." And in the lobby, Tom Petty's video for Free Falling came on. The Daylaw guys were like, hey, what if we sample that? You remember the video with Johnny Depp and it's like this uh, rise of a rock star from nothing and then his uh, yeah, yeah, decline. Yeah. Their whole idea was like, let's make a song about us falling off. A song about like us losing our credibility and our fame. And just from looking okay. at that video, they went with that. So it started as a joke. Let's make a song based off a Tom Petty video. And then they went out, they bought the CD, grabbed the sample tracked it and that was it they made a video for it in late 93 uh, at a high school in chicago and that was the last time they ever saw each other but in a cool new metal tie-in mike inzinger who is the guitar player for incubus lived next door to tom petty and tom petty told him that he loved this song oh wow yeah yeah so i thought that was really cool uh, so can, can we talk about the end of the song yeah yeah when when they just like start Singing Daisy Dukes by Deuce. Yeah. Into the mic. Yeah. Like, come on, oh, baby. baby. Well, because you're, you're hanging out with these white Scottish guys and you're in Scotland <laughs> and it's like the, the tape keeps rolling and they're just like, come on, baby. <laughs> it's like, how do you end the song? I think it's a great track. I love the video for it. All right. I'll go back and, and give it a, a good listen to through New Year's and see if I still don't like it. Speaking of something I don't like, <laughs> can we talk about the next song? Wow. So from Mud Honey and the author whose body of work includes the seminal tracks Bumpasaurus and Put Him on the Glass, Sir Mix-a-Lot comes Freak Mama. Yeah, this is the weirdest combo on here. I mean, obviously, they're both from Seattle and that's how this happened. Yeah, exactly. Right? I, I just I felt like I was on an acid trip the whole time. <laughs> Sir Mix a Lot is just rapping about booty as he's known to do, yeah. and then this like, like Southern California 1960s Neil Young rock jam breaks out. <laughs> Doesn't make any fucking sense. Doesn't. But like you've got Mud Honey who have been unfairly or not just shoehorned into grunge with Sir Mix a Lot, and Sir Mix a Lot only raps about three things: titties asses and luxury european sports cars like that's all he yep. raps about in like the most nasally cadence like <laughs> that a rapper has ever had and like what's funny is is that sir mix a lot is actually worried about how this is going to make him look uh at the very end you can hear him say just lost my street credibility y'all yeah yeah because he definitely had that it's, hey like, 
if you drove by the record store in 1992, there was a big butt outside, like an inflatable ass outside of every record store because this song like swept the country and like MTV would only play it after 9 p.m. because it got so many complaints. He didn't have any street credibility. He wasn't open and fire at the Source Awards. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> That is the litmus test for are you, do you have credibility? Did you open fire at the Source Awards? Right. Or did you wear like a fuzzy hat and use like a, a, a sample of Becky at the beginning of your hit record? Like, good God. Yeah, this, this is my least favorite on here. Uh, I, I think that Sir Mix-a-Lot for what he does, does, you know, his level best. I appreciate some of the... Mr. Richard wants to get you, take a few nasty pictures. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's like surf guitar in the background. Yeah, yeah it's like Dick Dale and uh, Sir Mixlot talking about titties. Uh, um, I hope uh, everybody's palates are cleansed because here we go. Yeah. Next up is Faith No More and the Booyah Tribe with Another Body Murdered. Yeah, I mean, this thing is chaotic, um, but cohesive. Yep. Uh, and, yep. It gr- and it grinds all the way through. Oh my God, yeah. I just like how it opens because like you know Faith No More and you know Mike Patton you know you're going to get some weird shit yep. so like the, you got this like almost new metal vibe going and then Mike Patton's just is like whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? Uh, this is this is Faith No More at their absolute best. This is the sound that they perfected on Angel Dust, and they're coming hot off that. And Booyah Tribe, who I'd never heard of, by the way. Booyah Tribe consisted of six Samoan American brothers who are the most intimidating looking people I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. Um, have you seen the video for this? No. Oh, fuck. Nick, you want to walk people through what's happening here? I don't know how to put it into words. I, I I don't I don't even know how to describe what I'm watching. Right now. <laughs> There's a lot of men in a room. I've shat myself. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like another body's gonna get murdered. So yeah, I mean you got Booyah Tribe with no shirts on, and Faith No More in a room. There's blue lights and thrashing guitars and Mike Patton is just screaming his lungs out. <laughs> it's the best. It is the absolute best. And this is during during Mike Patton's like kind of looking like John Mayer phase. So just imagine John Mayer just losing his shit in a room with a bunch of Samoans. <laughs> with no shirts. No shirts anywhere. Yeah, this is just everything I love about new Metal and these guys hit it off famously bill gold from faith no more (laughs) he tells this great story talking about like you know just they get in the studio all these guys are musicians by the way so some of the booyah guys are actually playing on that track Well, i was gonna say that looks like the guy playing bass looks like a booyah tribe guy yeah yeah he's playing bass uh the bass looks like it's attached with a log chain and there's a machete tied to the end of it (laughs) bill gold says They all had guns on the mixing console, and the producer was trying to move the guns. This guy, Vincent, in the band, he was about 
six foot five, six foot six, probably about 380 pounds. And he had this gun that dwarfed his hand. I've never seen anything like it. It was this pistol, but it was so fucking big. I didn't know what the fuck it was. And we were playing and he was like pointing it through the glass and stuff. <laughs> I just love it. I love everything about it. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, you can tell they get along, though, because it, it's one of the best songs in the album, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that they would get together and make this video. I, I'm looking right now. There's Mike Patton just huddled in the corner, screaming like a lunatic. <laughs> well, the Booyah Tribe guys are just a man's on fire. Everything about it is great. Coming hot off the heels of that is one of my all time favorite bands and a rapper I've never heard of. Therapy and Fatal playing Come and Die. Uh, New Metal tie-in. We have a brain and insane lyrical reference on this song. We do indeed. So I feel like they were like told, hey, we need you guys to write a song for this movie. And they're like, what's the movie about? And they told him, he's like, we, we're going to write a song for when somebody dies. <laughs> like <laughs> they know when their song was going to be used, I feel like. And then they wrote their song around it. So Therapy's from Ireland. And at this point, they are just starting to get some traction in America. Therapy bassist Michael McKeegan said, It sort of made sense to pair us up at the time, uh, as we were new to the American rock scene, and he was just working on his debut album. So this is kind of a pairing that was made for them to both get their sound out there. It was all pretty spur of the moment. Uh, Therapy was on tour. They had a day off. They went to the studio with Fatal. T-Ray, who produced this, he had a drum loop, and they just jammed around came up with it, uh, fine-tuned the lyrics. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing really much to say about it. I think Therapy does what they do best, which is uh, guitarist and vocalist Andy Kieran's just screaming, DIE! <laughs> and uh, yep. yeah, and then Fatal uh, giving probably the best verse of his life before disappearing forever. Oh, he never really did anything? I looked him up and I finally figured out that he actually went by Joe Fatal, white guy. Oh, okay. Had no idea, 30 years later. All right. Winding down the album is a bonus track that was not featured on the movie, The Real Thing, with Cypress Hill making their second entry and Pearl Jam. This happening in 1993 is huge. Absolutely. I unfortunately think that Pearl Jam is unidentifiable in this song. I think it's very interesting that you say that because this is the one track that was not done face-to-face. Okay. Cypress Hill, they sent over the basic beat and their vocals, and then Pearl Jam, they took it, they did the music and the backup vocals, and the only reason that they were really able to do that is because they had a relationship prior to this and there was a certain amount of trust there. But Cypress Hill, when mixed with any other band, is like the dominant gene. It's like you can roll your tongue or your, your lobes are connected <laughs> like if your dad had the dominant gene. Like Cypress Hill is going to, I don't care what the background music is, Cypress Hill's going to come back in with the Cypress. <laughs> and now, it's, and now it's a Cypress Hill song no matter what happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pearl Jam, they crank out like this awesome, sinister groove. It's very reminiscent of like what you'd hear on Versus, which was released that same year. But yeah, like Cypress Hill is just Cypress Hilling over the whole fucking thing. They did perform this song live once, and that was at MTV's 1993 Live and Loud New Year's concert. Pearl Jam was supposed to perform. Eddie Vedder got sick. He couldn't make it. Nirvana wound up being the headliner, but then Cypress Hill did a set. The Pearl Jam guys were there, except for Eddie, so they got on stage. They did that with them. You cannot find it. It, Uh. You can find the entire Cypress Hill set. That one was never recorded. And if it was, it has been lost to time. 
That's a drag. And that brings to a conclusion the genesis of the sound that we so lovingly call new metal, Judgment Night. Well done, Kevin. Thank you. Did you spend any time with this soundtrack in your... Uh, not in my youth, no. I, I didn't hear any of this. I've heard a couple of the tracks from this album uh, previous to you know listening to this for this this show uh but no because you know i got i i found music in 94 mm. uh, and this was in 93 i was vaguely aware of it through interviews and hearing people talk about it i knew that it was a a fusion of rap and rock but i just never went back and listened to it but that's largely because like when did we get spotify yeah yeah i mean it's certainly not it wasn't in print for that much that long i, I doubt that you could in you know 20 10 go into you know best buy and grab the judgment night soundtrack yeah. you know so like i would have had to download it and then i wouldn't have been able to know the accuracy of if mm. these worthy were the artists and like so no now through the magic of streaming entertainment uh, i have spent uh, several hours with this album in the last week yeah um and and i like it as a whole like i was you know clear about what parts i didn't <laughs> um but uh as a whole like it's a cool moment in time it's a cool record y'all should uh, definitely go check it out it has such a special place in my heart. Like I said at the top of the episode, it set me on a path. Eventually, I'll probably try and do an episode about the Crow soundtrack because yeah. that's that's the same thing for me. That is like a magical soundtrack for me, and I I think it it's got some new metal energy. I mean, at the very least, Rage Against the Machines. On oh it. yeah, for sure. But I feel like how I feel about that album is how you feel about this one. Yeah, absolutely. I can look at this album and trace a clear line to the kind of music I'm into today. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've seen so many of these bands live on this soundtrack, except for Booyah Tribe. And I'm just going <laughs> to kick myself for never seeing Booyah Tribe. Yeah, I wish I saw Onyx. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go back to that just one more time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, play the clip. Play the clip. Representing a whole New York City and shit. Fuck that. So how many real niggas is in here? Hey, yo. You know, my mom bought me an Onyx t-shirt for my seventh grade nice. birthday. Fantastic. Yeah, I was in seventh grade in uh, Fishers, Indiana, wearing a uh, shirt with the Onyx symbol on it. said, Property of the United States Ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> Slam was a big hit, man. Yeah. All right. Well, Nick, any any parting thoughts on Judgment Night? It's uh, it's It's cool. Everybody, please go listen. We recommend a lot of bullshit on this show. Some of it's important, so go take a spin around this one. Indeed. All right, man, what you listening to? I'm going to talk about a band out of Las Vegas, Nevada called Spirit World. Okay. Spirit World, it's had a lot of of versions, but it came from kind of an alt-country place, and they just put out a straight-up hardcore record called Pagan Rhythms. Fuck yeah. It is... Got desert vibes, but it is fucking violent and <laughs> very intense. It's on Spotify. The album's called Pagan Rhythms, but I also want you to go back two years and listen to a song of theirs that nicely bridges the gap between like those desert country vibes, Western music, and heavy music. And the song is called Viper Blood, and it fucking rules. Awesome. I am going to follow that up with Boundaries. And uh, shout out to friend of the show Chase for introducing me to this. They dropped their full length, Your Seeding Warmth, in 2020. Sonically, it's just there. It's very reminiscent of, like, Poison the Well's opposite of December. And it's just got oh, okay. all those beautiful parts of hardcore. The start-stop, the China crash before it goes yeah. into the big breakdown. 
and it sounds like hardcore from a different time period made by youngins from Connecticut. Uh, definitely check out the track. I'd rather not say. And yeah, boundaries. Definitely, definitely nice. check them out. I am excited. We got a new Furnace Fest lineup. So Fuck yes. Probably happening. Might, may, I don't know. You know, we have dates and we have a lineup, and that lineup is sick. Yeah. Hey, and maybe we can finally do one of these together live from Furnace Fest. Oh my good God, live from Furnace Fest. If any of y'all are going to Furnace Fest, you know, let's uh, drink a beer together six feet apart or whatever the hell we got to do. Yep. Amen to that. Anyway, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Days of the New. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Nick underscore the underscore knife. And you can find me on Instagram at K-J-D-E-L-U-R-Y. And you cannot find me on Twitter. 